Hey gang, welcome back to the Wild at Heart podcast here in the week of June 6th. And if it is June 6th, if you're picking this up on Monday, what's June 6th, Alan? Well, it's your birthday. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you. It's also D-Day, which wow. I think has some mythic significance to all that. Yes. But that's actually not our announcements this week. We have two announcements that we're really excited about. The first is that this is the launch week for Resilience. Yes. The new book. And we played a chapter of that last week. We're going to play another chapter for you this week. Last week, it was chapter one. Mm-hmm. This week, we're going to play chapter three because we got to keep a little mystery in this. So we're not showing them chapter two right no, now? No, no, not no. right now. And okay. I actually dropped this huge bomb in chapter two. So you're going to want to, you're going to, want to find out what, <laughs> what that <a> is. <laughs> but I said we had two yeah. announcements. So we're very, very yes. excited about Resilient coming out. Also, gang, we have been working for half a year. We've been working for six months mm-hmm. on a new feature in the Pause app called 30 Days to Resilient. It is phenomenal. Alan, you've heard the tracks. Oh, for those who are listening who have gone through the Pause app, you're familiar with what that is. This is something really unique, though. It's a morning and an evening for 30 days. And John, uh, I just think the listeners are going to love how, in addition to your voice, there are other voices in this yes. guiding them through. Yeah, so it's guided prayer, reflection, um, meditation, and scripture. It's it's really powerful. We were trying to figure out how do we bring the message of resilience yes. into like the pause experience where in the morning and in the evening, people can just listen to some beautiful music, mm-hmm. some prayer, yeah, and do some, do some good soul work. So it's free. It's on the One Minute Pause app. So if that's a brand new thing to you, we built an app a couple of years ago called the One Minute yep. Pause. You can get it for free in the app store. Download that. And then um, not only do you get all the all the pauses that are in there from one, three, five, 10 minute pauses, but you get this new thing called 30 Days to Resilient. And it's something that comes alongside the book. It's unique from the book in that it has experiences that people go through to really bring them into resilience in all areas of yeah, their life. Yeah, beautiful music, fabulous prayers. Yeah, it's really, really good. So those are our two announcements. And by the way, if you have not gotten resilient yet, I think after you hear it today, you're going to want to. If there's something in the way of that, if right now the budget's tight and there's a financial reason that you can't order it, please reach out to us. Well, we will get you a copy. You can just email us, support at wildatheart.org, O-R-G, and we'll help you out with that. We don't want that right. to totally. be a reason that that you aren't getting into this healing content. Yes. Okay, that was a long introduction. Without further ado, let's get into chapter three. Let's, let's get into more of the content here. Now for our next survival story. This one is entitled, Do Not Give Up. One of the great dangers of hypothermia is that when you're in the late stages, you become sleepy and simply want to lie down and drift away into unconscious bliss. But to do so is to die. To prevent this, John Muir and his companion weathered that blizzard on Mount Shasta by lying down, completely exposed to the elements, on top of the gas vents and fumaroles of the volcanic mountain. Here's how he described it. When the heat became unendurable, 
On some spot where steam was escaping through the sludge, we tried to stop it with snow and mud, or shift it a little at a time by shoving with our heels. For to stand, in blank exposure to the fearful wind, in our frozen and broiled condition seemed certain death. The frost grew more and more intense, and we became icy and covered over with a crust of frozen snow as if we had lain cast away in the drift all winter. In about thirteen hours, every hour like a year, day began to dawn, but it was long ere the summit's rocks were touched by the sun. As the time drew near to make an effort to reach camp, we became concerned to know what strength was left us and whether or no we could walk for we had lain flat all this time without once rising to our feet. Mountaineers, however, always find in themselves a reserve of power after great exhaustion. It is a kind of second life, available only in emergencies like this. And, having proved its existence, I had no great fear that either of us would fail, though one of my arms was already benumbed and hung powerless. Chapter 3. The Strength That Prevails Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape and stand before the Son of Man. Luke 21.36 I think everyone prays at some point in their life, even if they're not sure someone is listening. And I'll bet that one of the most common prayers goes something like, Lord, help me. Give me strength. I really like that prayer. It has a genuine humility to it. We find ourselves facing something that overwhelms our personal resources, and we cry out for help, for strength. The man who casually answers his phone on a Tuesday afternoon, only to hear that his family has been killed in an automobile accident. The woman who, at a routine exam, learns that she has stage 4 breast cancer. The caregiver who, day after day, labors under the crushing load of providing for every need of their incapacitated loved one. Give me strength, Lord. Jesus liked that prayer. He instructed us to pray it, and he prayed it himself. Toward the end of his days on earth, he began to give his disciples clear instructions for living through extremely hard times, knowing they would record those instructions for future generations, including you, dear ones. He assured us in no uncertain terms that this story would sweep toward a climax and that those days would be especially hard on the human soul. He urged us to ask for the strength that prevails. Notice the fig tree, or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life.
Don't let that day catch you unaware, like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Luke 21, 29-36 Strong enough to escape. That's who and what we want to be. Strong enough to be the survivors, the triumphant ones, to make it through the storm. This is no ordinary strength Jesus is offering. This isn't optimism. This isn't simply feeling refreshed for a new day. Hard times require something more than willpower. Jesus warns us, urges us, practically commands us to ask for strength. Now, the Greek word used here is katiskuo, and it means to be strong to another's detriment, to prevail against, to be superior in strength, to overcome, to prevail. This is a valiant strength. It implies a fight, an enemy we can and will prevail over. It reminds me of Henry V's prayer on the eve of the Battle of Agincourt. The English troops are exhausted. Many are wounded or ill. They face a fresh French army five times their size, fighting on their home turf. Henry's men are overwhelmed. He falls to his knees in the darkness and prays for strength. God of battles, steal my soldiers' hearts if the opposed numbers pluck their hearts from them. He cries out to the God of war. You understand, I hope, that our English translation, Lord Almighty, is correctly translated the Lord of Heaven's armies. Our God is the God of war, mighty in battle, as Psalm 24, 8 says. We need him to strengthen our hearts so that we are as protected as if by steel, as immovable as steel. Steal our hearts, Lord. There is only one other time the word katiskuo is used in the New Testament. Jesus is again the speaker, and he pronounces the coming victory of his newly launched movement, the revolution that is the church triumphant. Matthew records this moment for us. Jesus promises that the forces of hell will not prevail against or overcome his church. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not catascuo it, will not overcome it. Matthew 16, 18. This is no coincidence. The catascuo is used only in these two verses. Jesus wants us to understand that it is the powers of hell that are trying to overpower us, to crush the human heart. Jesus wants us to understand that it is the powers of hell that are trying to overpower us, to crush the human heart, especially the hearts of his followers. The strength God urges us to ask for is a combative strength, a strength to win the fight, to overcome. Wouldn't that be wonderful right now? We need strength of heart, strength of mind, strength of spirit, 
a strength that prevails because there are forces urging us to quit. The temptation is to give up. I know I should get out. I know exercise is good for my body, but I just don't want to do anything. I was talking to a dear young woman who was wrestling with the early stages of depression. Part of it was due to the pandemic trauma. That was her vulnerability. But the better part of it was coming from an attack of the enemy that had come over her in her weakened condition. I know seeing people is good for me too, but I just want to lie on the couch. I don't have the strength to do the things I know would help me right now. I left thinking to myself, how do we find the strength to prevail when we don't even want to ask for it? A few days later, I was sitting in the woods by a small, lovely brook. The day was hot, and the shade of the evergreens was delightful, made even more refreshing by the coolness and the song of the brook. I sat down on the mossy bank and just let the healing power of this little Eden wash over my tired body and soul. I was thinking about my friend and about my own struggles to keep faith. After about 15 minutes, my attention was caught by the spiders that were weaving their webs over the brook itself. I was baffled at their architectural brilliance. How can they string their first strands over a running brook? It must be pure acrobatics. Their webs stretched a quarter of an inch above the water's surface, the perfect place to catch mosquitoes, gnats, and such flying up and down the rivulet. And there the spiders sat and waited, perfectly still. I was amazed at their patience, waiting for days, motionless, undetected, to catch one prey. I suddenly thought of our enemy, how he will set up cultural schemes and snares that take years to play out in order to trap humanity. The area would just live through what I would call the comfort culture weakened us for the trials we are currently facing. Before there was any pandemic, universities were reporting that their mental health services were being overwhelmed by freshmen within the first few weeks of a new year, primarily with issues of anxiety and depression. The director of a program designed to prepare freshmen for the college years told me recently, 18 is the new 12. Our students are emotionally underdeveloped. They're much less resilient than any we've ever encountered, and I'm not entirely sure why. There are many reasons, of course. Human beings are beautifully complicated. But honestly, when you grow up in a world where everything is done with a few clicks on your phone, it doesn't exactly develop resilience. Anyone living in the developed world has experienced a level of ease unimaginable to previous generations. This is the overnight delivery age. Now, let me be quick to say I have fully enjoyed all the conveniences of our modern moment, but I'm also aware that they've made me soft. The web we've been caught in was years in the making, a brilliant interlacing of the comfort culture and the babble of technology at our fingertips. By way of contrast, the World War II generation emerged from the Great Depression with a sense of reality, grit, and resilience. You see, the pandemic 
was an apocalypse in the true meaning of the word, because apocalypse means to reveal. And the pandemic revealed many things about us and our world. We don't like much of what it uncovered, including the fact that we are not as resilient as we thought we were when things were going smoothly. And so we come into this really tough moment in a compromised state. And again, I know, I know, many of you feel like you're past it, you're beyond it, we're doing great, life's back on track. But I'm telling you, (laughs) remember our conversation about reserves and about the long-term effects of trial and trauma? Like, we have not paid the bill yet, friends. We've not paid the soulful or the psychological bill yet. And this thing is going to catch up and bite us, especially when the next trial or heartache rolls in. And it doesn't need to be global. The next one may be personal. And then you suddenly realize, wow, I am not nearly as resilient as I thought I was, okay? And it's the combination of growing up in the comfort culture and having just an absolutely unprecedented experience of ease. The comfort culture, the whole mindset you see, is geared towards how do we make things more efficient? How do we make things simpler and easier? So you can buy a home now from your cell phone. Right? You can order your groceries and have them delivered. I've got a new truck. I bought it so I could you know, haul our horses. It's got air conditioning in the seats. I didn't want the feature. I didn't want half the features in this truck, but it's all just assumed now. This is just what we expect of our world. We just want to drive through, order it, and everything is great. That world softened us, and then something like a pandemic clobbers us. Okay, so we come into this moment, the moment that you're simply listening to this audio recording, in a compromised condition. It's like being dropped into the war in Afghanistan barefoot, and you have the flu. We've been set up for a loss of heart, set up to be overcome, set up to give in. Now, Jesus knew all this and lovingly told us to ask for the strength that prevails. And there's an urgency to his voice. Let me explain why. The falling away. Giving up has always been a struggle for frail humanity. But when Jesus urges us to ask for the strength to escape, he has something particular in mind, something he sees coming. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. Matthew 24.10 St. Paul was deeply troubled by this as he wrote his friends living in Thessalonica, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, meaning the day Christ returns, will not come unless the falling away comes first. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. In other words, prior to the climax of this story and the wonderful return of Jesus to make everything new, there will be some sort of global falling away. The Greek word here is apostasia, and that's why some translations put it this way. No one is to deceive you in any way, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. But again, the word apostasy conjures up more zombie apocalypse imagery, and that's not helpful in our effort to understand our situation. 
I don't think we're going to be seeing millions of people tattooing, I hate God, I love Satan on their chest, or marches in every major city blaspheming Jesus Christ. Satan is much cleverer than all that. I believe what we will see, what we see happening now, is simply people giving up on God in large numbers, which is why I think the New Life Version translation has it right. For the Lord will not come again until many people turn away from God. You see, the stories first began to come into our ministry by ones and twos. We'd hear of a famous worship leader or an acquaintance from church who'd walked away from their faith. In the past 12 months, the evidence grew in larger numbers. Mature believers, once so passionate for Christ, had either blown up their lives or simply slipped away, giving up on God. Now, of course, the politics around COVID split many churches, but lots of those folks didn't find a new congregation. They just stayed home. Angry partisan politics done in the name of Jesus turned many young people off to the faith of their youth, and many have migrated to a more mm, culturally acceptable faith, forsaking the difficult truths of Christianity for something easier to associate with. I think we may be witnessing the great falling away. Now, let me be quick to say there isn't a simple explanation nor simplistic solution. Some people are simply fed up with religion, and I don't blame them. But much of the turning from God is born out of heartache and disappointment. God did not seem to help. He didn't seem to hear. These are the deepest hurts of the human heart. And we are going to explore what to do with those hurts as we go along right here in this book. But let me say here that giving up your faith is like finding yourself in a desert your weary legs throbbing with pain. You can't find your way out by cutting your legs off. God can handle your anger, your disappointment, even bitterness. But walking away from Jesus is forsaking your only hope out of the heartache. Friends, I'm bringing this up because the enemy is wickedly skilled at pouncing on our vulnerabilities He's using these trying times to cloud our hearts with unbelief. If, in fact, the falling away is sweeping the earth, we want to have advance warning because it gets in the air like poison and we don't want to slowly succumb to it ourselves. It gains social momentum. And since we are social creatures, we can get swept up in it without a conscious decision on our part. And again, this isn't this isn't theoretical. Like, I have been experiencing this in the last several weeks. Right as I'm recording this, friends of mine have been experiencing it. Really solid people are feeling this external pressure to just quit, to either loudly or quietly just walk away from God. Okay, so here's what I'm trying to say. The pandemic put us all in a heightened state of longing for life to be good again. We rushed out to make that happen in some way, shape, or form. But every such effort disappoints. Even the most fabulous vacation is not going to heal your soul from trauma or from the story of your life. We return to a world still filled with tension and fear. 
and so disillusionment sets us up for a serious loss of heart. We give up on God because we feel he hasn't come through or isn't coming through. And when this stuff is in the air, when Satan is trying to bring this in as a spiritual force, it feels real. It's staggering how in one moment you can suddenly go to just absolute unbelief. And this is exactly what the enemy has planned for us all along. But this is our moment, and Jesus offers us strength. So let us seize it now with both hands while we still can. It begins with a choice. I've counseled thousands of men and women, and I can tell you with utter confidence, both from their experiences and from my own, that whatever else the enemy brings against you at any place in your life, he will always bring with it a feeling of, oh, I don't want to fight this. This feeling is called ennui, a weariness of spirit, a malaise, that sense of, I just don't want to fight anymore. This is Kierkegaard's sickness unto death, by which he meant intensified doubt, super doubt, mega doubt. And this feeling is not your true heart. Friends, this is so helpful to understand that weariness you're feeling, that not now, maybe later, that sense of being overwhelmed, or that sense of just wanting to go off and just find relief. Why bother? Who cares? This is the enemy, not you. When you know that, you're so much better prepared against it. You can more clearly choose to resist. I reject this feeling of, why bother? Who cares? And I reject this feeling that I don't even want to fight. I do. I choose the strength that prevails. I don't want to be one of those folks who get taken out right at the end. Now, yes, some people seem born with a greater measure of resilience. John Muir certainly was. He would leave camp before dawn with nothing more than a hunk of bread in his pocket and hike for 30 miles. The comfort culture doesn't exactly foster that kind of physical and mental toughness. But here's the good news. Resilience is also something that is bestowed, something imparted to us by God into our frail humanity. Isn't that wonderful to hear? Isn't that a relief to know this book is not about suck it up, let's get into training, get your act together. What we are essentially trying to do is to tap into a resilience that God possesses all the time and he wants to impart into our hearts and souls, into our minds. Back in the book of Daniel, he has a number of encounters with angelic beings, with staggering visions, very sobering visions from heaven. And at the end of one of those, here is what he wrote. He said, my strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid. You who are highly esteemed, he said, peace, be strong now, be strong. And when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. Daniel chapter 10, verses 17 through 19. 
the first fruit of katasguo is the ability to not give up. It imbues us with that Churchillian grit, never surrender, never give up. The strength that prevails, this mighty, combative, warrior strength, first comes to us simply as the strength not to quit. Because when you're tired, when you're beat up, you just want relief. A bag of chips, a bottle of wine, to lie on the couch, binge on Netflix. Jesus urges us to be on our guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down, praying that you will have strength to escape all these things. Jesus says there's a means of escape. Wouldn't you love an escape from all the madness? Okay then, let's make the choice right now to receive it. So here is our next skill, and this one is receiving the strength that prevails. How do we tap into Kataskuo, the strength that prevails? It starts with what I like to call being single-hearted. We are single-hearted when we cherish God above all things. We love Him in the longing for relief, which is where we're vulnerable. We love Him and the longing for life to be good again. Scripture promises that God will come to the help of those who are single-hearted. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. 2 Chronicles 16.9 God gives the strength that prevails to those whose hearts are fully given over to Him. This is why it's so important to stay single-hearted. Notice that before offering the strength that prevails, Jesus urged us to turn from the things that seem to offer life but actually wear us down. Watch out, he said. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. From Luke 21, 34 and 35. Now, look, Jesus enjoyed a glass of wine himself. So why did he especially name drinking here? Well, there's a kind of drinking that is surrender. Nearly everyone who drinks knows what I'm talking about. Get home at the end of the day, utterly beat up, worn out, and you just want to have a glass and veg. This isn't the drink of joy, the toast at a wedding, the dinner with comrades. This is the little white flag of surrender. St. John of the Cross, whose story I shared in chapter 1, was single-hearted. When his captors beat him mercilessly and then offered him his freedom if he would renounce his allegiance to Christ, he refused. God gave this single-hearted man the strength that prevails. As we turn our hearts towards Jesus or our Father, they are one. We practice loving Him. I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. Now, this is not feeling love. The warfare and the weariness will often make you feel rather blank. We choose to love God anyways. This is the strength that prevails, giving you the first step of courage to stand and be single-hearted. Over and over again, we practice loving God. I love you, Lord. And we ask him for Kataskuo, his overcoming, prevailing, conquering strength 
God offers it. So ask, ask, ask. Okay, so I want to take you into another prayer encounter. And again, it will go better if you're in a place that's fairly quiet. Driving in your car is fine. Listening on your headphones on your flight's fine. But if you're in like a really noisy place right now, you might want to get into a quiet place. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I want to read the prayer that I've written here first so you can hear it, so you know where we're going. And then I want to come back through it a second time and really enter into it together. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, God of all creation, God of the thunderstorm and the waterfall, I need your strength. I need the strength that prevails. I don't want to fall away. I don't want to lose heart. I choose you above all things. I give you my allegiance and my undivided love. I choose single-heartedness towards you, Lord Jesus, body, soul, and spirit, heart, mind, and will. I pray for supernatural resilience, God. Fill me with your overcoming strength, a victorious strength. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, strengthen me. I pray for strength of mind, strength of heart, strength of will. I pray for the strength that allows me to escape all that is coming against the saints in this hour. Fill me with resilience. By faith, I receive it and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so now let's go back through that together. You don't have to repeat after me. You're just agreeing along in your heart. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, God of all creation, God of the thunderstorm and the waterfall, I need your strength. I need the strength that prevails. I don't want to fall away. I don't want to lose heart. I choose you above all things. I give you my allegiance and my undivided love. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I choose single-heartedness toward you, Lord Jesus. Body, soul, and spirit, heart, mind, and will. I pray for a supernatural resilience, God. Fill me with your overcoming strength, a victorious strength. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, strengthen me. I pray for strength of mind, strength of heart, strength of will. I pray for the strength that allows me to escape all that is coming against the saints in this hour. Fill me with resilience. By faith, I receive it. 
and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Beautiful. If I were you, I'd consider making this prayer something you turn to frequently. We've also developed an experience to accompany the practices in this book called 30 Days to Resilience, which I think you'll find immensely helpful. It's a deeper guided experience through all the prayers we're going to be going through together in these chapters. And you can access it on what we call our One Minute Pause app which is available for free in the App Store. Everything else we explore and learn in this book will deepen our ability to receive the strength that prevails, along with more beautiful resources from God. Wow, John. That skill, the strength that prevails, is something I personally need so much because I love how you say resilience is something that is bestowed, something imparted by God, into us. It's not something that we have to white-knuckle it to get to, because for me, that's a reminder that is always so helpful. Otherwise, I fall back into my own strength, trying to make it happen, feeling guilty when I can't or my tank's on empty. So this skill is huge. I want to make that promise very clear, because that is the promise of the gospel. This isn't a gym membership. <laughs> we're, not, we're not telling everybody, go get their act together and lose 15 pounds. Like That's not biblical resilience. Biblical resilience mm. is given to us yes. through our union with Christ as his life permeates ours. And, and yes, we need to come into alignment with that. There are mm. practices we can do. You know, there's, that's why we have this book. And, and, uh, and that's why we want to make it available um, to everybody because it is so enriching. It is so healing. Now, another announcement. <laughs> if you're hearing this on June 6th or June 7th, the evening of June 7th, because that's the big launch day, I'm going to do a Facebook Live event leading folks through some of these exercises. It's really, really awesome to do it live. Yes. So 6 p.m. Mountain Time. We're going to get on Facebook Live and spend some time talking about resilience. I want to lead you in some of the exercises and then and then have some conversation, do some Q&A. So if you're hearing it on the 6th or the 7th, please come and join us 6 p.m. Mountain Time on that. 